You're listening to the How to Talk to Girls podcast with your dating coach, Trip from TripAdvice.com. Do you struggle with getting girls to like you? You'll learn step-by-step how to talk to girls to create deep connections, whether it be for <laughs> one night of wild fun, a one-week fling. Are you currently involved in a sexual relationship? Or for a lifelong partner. Full of long-lasting pleasure. Here's your host, Trip. Hey, welcome to the How to Talk to Girls podcast. This is Trip from TripAdvice.com, and this episode is sponsored by Spurgeon XT. That's right, Spurgeon XT is your source to boosting your libido and boosting your sex drive. So if you want to get your confidence back in the bedroom, what does that mean? That means being able to maintain erections for longer. That means being able to last longer in the bedroom, and of course, boosting your testosterone in order to be able to do this, well then check out Spartan XT at SpartanLibido.com. It's a supplement. It's like anything else that you might buy, you know, over the counter in terms of, uh, you know, like a vitamin C or or garlic uh, clove or any of that crazy stuff that you can get at Walgreens. But this stuff is available right here online, and it's got herbs and supplements to help you become better in the bedroom. That's right. So check it out. 100% natural. And it's never too early to get this. It's, you know, it is geared towards guys 30 and over because those guys tend to start to lose testosterone a little more often. But if you're having any of these problems or you're scared of having any of these problems and you are in your 20s, again, I suggest you check this out. SpartanLibido.com. And that is in the show notes. So you can go right there. All right. So this episode got another interview. His name is Alan Roger Curry. That's right. Alan Roger Curry. And we're talking about verbal seduction here. He's got a website called directapproachdating.com. Go there, check it out, check him out if you enjoy this interview and you like what he has to say. He is the man when it comes to verbal seduction skills and uh, and improving communication with the opposite sex. And you'll see, you'll see uh, very shortly what he has to say because this guy, he's got some crazy stuff up his sleeve that really help you attract women and stuff that you might not think was possible. Even shocked me when I heard some of this stuff. So I highly enjoy you check it out. I think you're going to like it. And if you do, again, check out his website where he's got more to offer at directapproachdating.com. And boy, is he direct. Yes, you'll find out very, very shortly on this interview. Now, real quick, I know I say this every single podcast episode, you're probably sick of it, but a lot of you are new. So I just want to let you know that you can get one of my free products, okay? And it is free to you if you email me, tripatripadvice.com, with a screenshot of the iTunes review that you leave for the How to Talk to Girls podcast. So go to iTunes and click on Leave a Review and leave a review for the for the podcast. I'd love to hear from you. Take a screenshot of that. Email it to me, trip at tripadvice.com, and we'll get you access within 24 hours. The conversation that gets you dates. One of my favorite products that breaks down conversation, when to flirt, how to flirt, and how to get a girl interested in you via conversation so you get more dates. That's why it's called conversation that gets you dates. Pretty simple, right? Yeah, so go ahead and do that. And uh, let's get to the interview with my man, Alan Roger Curry. We're talking about verbal seduction and a whole lot more. Here it is. Hey, Alan, how's it going today, man? 
Oh, it's going real good. Thank you for having me. Oh, I'm. it is my pleasure to have you. In fact, I almost feel kind of guilty. I feel like I'm having you on way too late. I just, I was saying this to you earlier. I remember being uh, on your podcast. It was, it's called Mode One, right? Your podcast? No, that's actually, the, <laughs> a lot of people think it is. So that's funny. But actually, the name of my podcast is entitled Upfront and Straightforward with Alan Roger Curry. I remember that. Okay. Upfront, but Mode yes. One is the title of my first book. Okay, that I definitely knew. I just wondered if it if it went to your podcast as well. But yeah, I remember being a guest. I mean, years ago when I first started and when I was getting my stuff off the ground, and I I really appreciated you uh, you giving me the chance to to interview on your podcast. And I'm just happy to have you here, man. I'm happy to have you on this episode and and talking about what you know best. So thanks for doing this. Oh, no problem. My pleasure. Absolutely. So before we get into some good advice today. You know, for the guys who don't know you as well or maybe haven't heard of your podcast or your programs, why don't you tell us a little bit about you and how you got into this and all that good stuff? Okay, sure. Um, Again, uh, the name is A-L-A-N, Allen. For those of you listening to this episode right now, middle name is Roger, how it's traditionally spelled, and then Curry, C-U-R-R-I-E. that's my full name, Alan Roger Curry. And I first, it, it was a long time coming, actually. I was a very reluctant book author and dating coach. What happened is started in my college years. I had some female acquaintances who would come to me complaining about how they felt that men were misleading them and giving them the impression that they wanted to engage in a long-term, emotionally profound, monogamous boyfriend-girlfriend type relationship. But then after they would have sex with these women, you know, two times, five times, 10 times, they would just abruptly just stop communicating with them and, you know, leave them alone, which left the women feeling very hurt and confused. So they would kind of vent to me use me as kind of an empathetic listening ear. And at first I would criticize them and call them whiners and complainers. But then later I did begin to empathize with them. So I I asked some of my fraternity brothers, I'm part of a fraternity as well as some other non-fraternity close friends. I would ask them, I say, Hey, when, when you meet a woman that you pretty much know, you just want casual sex from, as opposed to a boyfriend, girlfriend relationship, are you upfront about that or do you basically bullshit women? And probably 97, 98% of them said, oh, man, you got to bullshit women when you first meet them. You can't tell them the truth. You can't let women know what you're really thinking. And that's why the subtitle of my first book is called Mode One, Let the Women Know What You're Really Thinking. Because so many guys, when I did that informal survey, would say, oh, you can't let women know what's really on your mind. You can't let them know what you're really thinking or what you really want. And so some of these guys ended up challenging me and said, okay, Mr. I want to be straightforward with women. We want to see you at the next party, you know, just straightforwardly tell women that you want to fuck them. So I did. And part of that was also influenced by, I saw this, a lot of my followers know this, I saw this adult porn film years ago, 
right before I started college. It was called Talk Dirty to Me. And it starred this late legendary uh, film star named John Leslie. He's, he's since passed away. But he, had, he played this character named Jack, who was this prolific womanizer. And that was his MO in the movie. He would just go up to new female acquaintances, and within the first five to ten minutes, he would let that woman know that he wanted to fuck them. So I kind of emulated him, his style, to a large degree. And to my pleasant surprise, it worked out for me. Like, even a lot of the women who initially gave me harsh criticisms and, and a seemingly adverse reaction would later on, whether it was minutes later, hours later, days later, weeks later, they would end up telling me that, yeah, I do want you to fuck me. And so how would you make these approaches? I'm curious to know, like, how, how would you start a conversation like this and be so upfront? Oh, I would, back at that time, I would, my main thing, I would say, uh, like, say I was at a party on a Friday night. I might go up to a woman and say, so what do you have planned for tomorrow and particularly tomorrow evening? And they would say, oh, I don't know. Why, why do you ask? And I would say, because I want to come to your place and have you come to my room. And I want to just have us fuck like rabbits. I want to just fuck, fuck, fuck. And at least two-thirds or three-fourths of them would initially say, oh, my God, I, I didn't believe you just said that. Did you just really say that to me? And they would say, you know, the typical... I'm not a slut. I'm not a hoe. I'm a respectable good girl. I don't I don't have men talk to me like that. I, I prefer gentlemen and blah, 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 blah. And one thing I picked up, and it just shows how you can't learn from a fictional character in a movie. One thing I picked up from John, Le John Leslie's character of Jack is that when women gave him negative reactions, he never backed down from what he said. He never apologized for what he said. He would just give him a look like, like, so, like, and. And so I emulated that. And that ended up, you could say, being my, my, my secret technique because I noticed later when a lot of my close friends tried to emulate me, the mistake they would make is whenever they would get a harsh, adverse response from a woman, they would immediately say, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to offend you. Oh, okay, I apologize, blah, 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 blah. And then they would end up being dead meat in the water. And I would tell him, like one guy in particular, um, he was doing that. He would say real, bold, provocative things to women. But then he would, if they had a real harsh reaction, he would apologize. And then those women would end up criticizing him some more, and then they'd never speak to him again. And I told him, I said, dude, you're fucking up. He said, what am I doing wrong? I said, dude, you, you keep apologizing. I said, don't ever apologize for anything you say, That which is a piece of advice I give male clients to this day. I say... If you ever are about to say something that you think there's a greater than 50% chance that you're going to have to apologize for later, then don't say it. But once something comes out your mouth, I don't care how X-rated, triple X-rated, how provocative it is, once it leaves your mouth, do not ever apologize for it. And sure enough, this particular friend, once he stopped apologizing, he started getting laid like crazy. And I knew that was going to be the case because going back to myself, that's what would happen with me. Like, I would just look at women like, so? <laughs> like, I don't care about your criticisms. And literally, the vast majority of them 
once they saw that I wasn't going to back down and I wasn't going to apologize, they would totally change towards me. Sometimes within that conversation, they would kind of look around and they'd say, you so bad, you nasty, you real nasty. Okay, yeah, you can come by my place tomorrow or I'll come by your place tomorrow. Or sometimes it would be like days later or weeks later. Like one particular story, if you don't mind me sharing, that a lot of my followers know. One time when I was in college, I had this woman, she was a TA or was also known as a professor's assistant. And I'm going to use a couple of racial stereotypes, <laughs> but they're pretty valid ones. But black men, well, nowadays I would say both black men and white men. But back in the day, black men, we love butts. We love round juicy butts. Whereas my white friends in college, they were more so about to rack a woman's chest. But but black men, they 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 love the butt. So a lot of black men would ignore white girls because most of them had relatively flat behinds. But anyway, this particular teacher's uh, assistant, she was Caucasian, but man, she had a butt just like a black woman. So one day, in the class, I told this female friend who I was cool with, I told her what I was going to say to her. And she said, no, Alan, you shouldn't say that. That's our that's our TA. I said, I don't give a fuck. So I told her, we were talking about this paper that was due. And I said, you got an ass that's tailor-made for doggy style. And she said, what? What did you say to me? And she just went off on me. And I always say to this day, I would rank her in my top five most adverse responses from a woman ever. She like, just was like, oh my God, I can't believe you said that and blah, blah, blah. She even threatened me at one point, said she was going to tell the main professor and I, I could face academic consequences and everything. And I, I tell guys, of all my experiences with women, this was arguably the closest I ever came to apologizing. I was like probably a microsecond away from saying, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean that. But then my mole one voice said, no, Alan, don't apologize. Leave it as is. So I did. Sure enough, sure enough, this just shows you how women, when you don't apologize, how they'll change on you. About a week and a half later, this woman calls me out the blue. Like, I did not give her my phone number. She got my number out the student directory. And she said, Alan, I'm sipping wine with two of my girlfriends, and guess who's the main topic of conversation? And I said, I assume I am. She said, yes. We're talking about how about your audacious approach and how I'm telling them how I can't believe that you had the guts to say something like that to me. Then she said, would you mind being an active part of the conversation? In other words, would you do you want to come over? And I told her, I said, I'm not coming over unless my dick is going to end up in your mouth or in your pussy. And she giggled. She said, no, I can't promise that. I said, then I'm not coming over. And she said, oh, no, my girlfriends, they really want to meet you. They really want you. I said, I don't care. I said, unless my dick ends up in your mouth or your pussy, I am not coming over. Then she paused and she said, well, I'll say this. I'm not going to give you a guarantee, but... We are sipping wine, so I'll just let you know anything can happen. Long story short, I came over, talked with initially with all three of them, and then one of her two girlfriends left about an hour after I came over, 
And I ended up having a threesome with her and her girlfriend. And if I had a video of my first approach with her and then had a video of that threesome, guys would lose their minds because they'd be like, whoa, get the fuck out of here. This woman's cur damn near cursing you out one day. And then a week and a half later, you fucking her and her girlfriend. But the thing is, to brag and kind of toot my own horn, I've had literally dozens of experiences like that where a woman initially, at minimum, criticized my approach. At maximum, I would say just pretty much went the fuck off on me. Only to an hour later, two hours later, a few days later, a few weeks later, or in some cases a few months later, change their tune and end up giving me the pussy. Now, why do you think this works? Oh, I, I know the reason why it works because, see, here's the deal. Men and women, I think most men know this. The starting point would be at our core, men and women are socialized about dating and sex in particular totally differently. For example, men, we might have mothers who might frown on us having ca a bunch of casual sex with different women. But with the exception of, well, with I would just say with excluding exceptions, most men's mothers and fathers do not say, hey, son, do not engage in casual sex. Do not engage in casual sex. Only engage in long-term monogamous relationships. We don't have parents that say that. Like, I can use my parents as an example. My father, he never tried to per dissuade me from engaging in casual sex. He just said, make sure you use a rubber. My mother, she didn't particularly care for me being promiscuous or polyamorous, but she never in an adamant way tried to stop me from being engaging in casual sex. Whereas women, their mothers and fathers, most of the time, very emphatically implore on them not to engage in casual sex. Like, go ahead. And why do you think that is? Oh, no, because number one, most of my male friends, they've all openly confessed to me. Just about no man I know wants their daughter being promiscuous. None of them do. I mean, like, none of them do. Like, I have, I have male friends who are highly promiscuous themselves, but the ones that have daughters, they they do not want their daughters to be promiscuous. They that That is like their worst fear in regard to their daughter, is their daughter be developing a reputation for being promiscuous and or polyamorous. Same with most uh, women are not as adverse as a lot of the fathers are, but I would say to a slightly lesser extent, a lot of women are too. The main reason why women will discourage their daughters because they'll usually tell them, among other reasons, you're going to have a f hard time finding a long-term boyfriend or a future husband if you develop a reputation for being promiscuous or kinky or sexually aggressive, et cetera. So it gets implanted in their mind when it comes to casual sex, that casual sex equals a bad reputation and you being looked at as unmarriageable. Although without getting into a segue just yet, I will say Kim Kardashian, among other people, has kind of changed that with a lot of young women because she's now been on her third marriage and she had a fucking sex tape. And so women look at her as well. She made a sex tape and she was still able to attract a husband. 
But see, in my mother's generation and grandmother's generation, particularly more so than say my generation or the younger generation, you a woman couldn't think of being promiscuous and still getting married. That was like pretty much unheard of. Yeah, I, like, I think it's it's these days. I mean, it's still you know kind of frowned upon to be promiscuous, but the culture is loosening up a little bit. I think we're all loosening up just a little bit. And it's not as harsh of a reaction as maybe as it was in the, you know, 50s, 60s, 70s. What do you think? I would generally agree with that. I would generally. But I would say that said, and I do generally agree with what you just said, but I would say even in today's dating scene, you still have far more women who will at least pretend as though the idea of engaging in casual sex turns them off compared to men. And so to, again, answer your question, why do women have those, those, those kind of changes in attitude? What a lot of them themselves have told me, because a lot of times I will ask women, like after I fuck them for the first time or the second time, I will say, why when I first approached you, why you acted, why did you act like a prude or why did you act like a bitch? And I've gotten a variety of responses, but it's usually along the lines of, well, Alan, you got to understand I'm a woman and we're taught to always present ourselves as a respectable good girl. And they'll say, honestly, when you first start talking dirty to me, it was turning me on and getting my pussy wet. But I wasn't going to dare let you know that immediately because then my perception would be that in your mind, you, you would say to yourself, oh, she's a hoe or she's a slut or she's an easy lay. So I had to give you a hard time as an attempt to earn respect from you. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting because I think the guy who's listening right now has to understand that you're going to get some of that resistance from a woman but you got to remember at the end of the day women love sex as much as men and maybe even more i mean the the woman has a way more intense orgasm and better sexual experience relatively speaking than a man it is way way better for her because there's more nerve endings there's more of a um there's like a clitoral network happening throughout her entire vulva, the vagina area. And it's just so much more intense for her. And it's interesting that it's the woman who has such a better time during sex, yet it's it's them who have to kind of almost keep that hidden so they can do what you just said, you know? They can kind of keep that lady in the street freaking the bed thing happening. Yeah. It... it, it. <laughs> It's so funny, Trip, because uh, what you just said, I don't know if most of your male listeners are going to realize how important and how valid everything you just said is. Because one of those things you mentioned, to be truthful, I didn't learn until I started doing my show. I had this sex therapist on my show, and she was talking about nerve endings. And she said, Alan, who do you think has more nerve endings, a woman's clit or a man's, the head of a man's penis? And just me thinking of the size of each, I naturally said, oh, I'm sure 
the head of a man's penis? She said, no. She said, a woman's, the average woman's clitoris has 8,000 nerve endings. I said, what? She said, yes. The average woman's clitoris has 8,000 nerve endings. The average, the head of the average man's penis only has about 3,000 to 3,500 nerve endings. And I was just like, wow. She said, so yeah, there's more than twice as many nerve endings in a woman's clitoris as uh, in a man's head of man's penis. And as far as them just being just as horny, if not hornier than men, period, I had two other guests. Um, well, one guy, he told me before he was a guest on my show, another guy who was actually my most listened to episode, a guy named Daniel Bergner. He wrote this book called What Women Want. And both of them mentioned to me, I had met James Amaro in Vegas, and we were talking, and he said something that I, I honestly didn't know. He said, Alan, I don't know if you or many men know this, but prior to the Victorian era, women were considered the hornier sex in society. And I was like, really? He said, oh, yeah. He said, if you do your research, you'll find it. It was women. Like nowadays, of course, everybody, the media and society in general, paints men as the ones who think about all sex all the time and want sex. He said, no. In, in previous centuries, women were always known as the hornier sex. But then when the Victorian era came, there was a big push for women to present themselves as more sexually conservative and more marriageable. And uh, and Daniel Bergner, he can, he confirmed, he said a variation of that when he was a guest on my show. So anyway, everything you, you expressed is very true. And that, that's what I call, I always lightheartedly refer to this as the biggest scam in society because Society leads us men to believe that we're the ones, they'll say things like, man, think about sex every six seconds, and man, can't stop thinking about sex. That's bull. Women want to get fucked at minimum just as much as we want to fuck them. And in most cases, they want to get fucked more. Matter of fact, the term nymphomaniac only applies to women. So there you Interesting. Interesting. Okay, so with this information, let's talk more about, and we, we touched upon it already, but let's talk more about your expertise, which is on verbal seduction. Now, from what I'm gathering in, in terms of what I teach and, and hearing what you're saying, you know, one of the reasons why what you do works so well is because when you say something like that to a woman, it shows an immense amount of confidence. And uh, and I think it also shows that this is a guy who probably knows what he's doing in terms of being good in the bedroom because it would be very difficult for a guy to go ahead and say something like that. So, you know, tell me some more techniques that you have uh, around this idea of verbal seduction. Well, you, you hit a lot of things on <laughs> Um I think my starting point when I work with male clients is covering everything we've already covered, although I might cover it in a little bit more detail, but it's just getting men to understand the psychology of women. I think that is the key, you know, step number one, because if you have a lot of invalid beliefs and perceptions about how women's minds work, 
realistically, you're never going to be successful in your approaches and your conversations with them. So I would say that's number one. Um, and then number two is emphasizing basically along the lines of what you, you just, uh, you know, your lead in is that I always divide men into two general categories. And, and I'm sure a number of pickup artists do, although not all. But women tend to view men either consciously or subconsciously. They tend to view men as either alpha males or beta males. And the difference between the two, like I've heard guys, they'll ask me, they'll say, Alan, you know, do women like bad boys or do they like nice guys? Do they like gentlemen or do they like assholes? And my answer is always women don't want either or. They want both. The alpha male is the guy that's more appealing to them for sexual enjoyment and satisfaction. And with many women, for the sake of breeding, giving birth to healthy children. So that's when they're going to find themselves most appealing, um, find alpha males most appealing. And, and to a lesser extent, age also contributes. Like I would say generally when a woman is between, say, roughly 15 and 29 or 15 and 34, alpha males are going to be her first preference. Now, beta males, though, most alpha males, because of their usual popularity with women, their confidence, and just the way they are, the downside of alpha males for women is that alpha males are usually non-compromising. They don't take no shit, which from a man's perspective, of course, is a good thing. They don't go out of their way to spoil women or play up to their egos, and they just don't give them the time and undivided attention that a lot of women want. So who do they turn to? They turn to the beta male. The beta male is appealing to a woman because he's usually flattering and entertaining. He's usually financially generous and he usually plays up to him and, and very accommodating. And he's like the, the good male girlfriend he, he provides them with an empathetic listening ear to their problems, usually. I like what you said there. Yeah, he, he is the male girlfriend. Yeah, yeah, he's that guy. So that's why that's why you, you'll never hear a woman say, I don't like a nice guy. Like, you go on any message board, and I'll see guys ask women, they quit and say, hey, do you women, like, really hate us nice guys? And they'll say, no, we love you nice guys. And they say, oh, okay, then these pickup artists are telling us lies. Well, no, the pickup artists aren't telling you lies, but the women aren't telling you lies either. What the women are saying, really, the translation is, we love you nice guys because you're the ones who give us the most attention without us feeling obligated to give you some pussy. Whereas alpha males are like, oh, no, if we ain't fucking, I ain't going to spend 20 hours a week with you. Are you crazy? Um, so, and secondly... As women gets to say, usually around their mid thirties and older, they begin to look for beta males as a long-term companion or a husband, because for two reasons, number one, a lot of beta males usually are more financially successful or at least financially responsible. Whereas some alpha males, not all, but some alpha males can, they spend so many years being taken care of by women and, you know, just kind of having their way that they, they really don't have the same drive for career success as, say, the average beta male will. 
And then the second thing is that most alpha males, as women get older, a lot of alpha males don't want them anymore. They start setting their sights on younger women. So women who are, say, roughly 36 years of age or older, they start leaning more towards beta males. But the problem is, and I wrote an article about this when I used to write for the Examiner, a lot of them end up in what I call platonic romantic relationships. They're looking for a platonic husband. I can't tell you, Tripp, how many women have confessed to me privately and confidentially. They'll say, I didn't marry my husband because I was sexually attracted to him. I'll say, really? They'll say, no, no, I married him because, you know, he pays all the bills. He's a good father to my kids. But I mean, when it comes to just pure sex, no, uh -uh, I'm not. We probably have sex maybe twice a month. And that's terrible. Yeah, it is. It is. That, that's matter of fact, that leads to my second, uh, well, not my second book, but my second audio book is called The Possibility of Sex, How Naive and Lustful Men Are Manipulated by Women Regularly. And that's my book that's kind of really geared towards either A, men who are beta males and don't realize they're beta males, or men who somewhat realize they're beta males but they don't realize how scandalous and manipulative women are. And it's interesting because I've had a lot of men who either read the ebook version of that book or listened to the audiobook that wrote me emails saying, Alan, man, that book was good. It was thorough, but it left me depressed. I don't even look at women the same way anymore. And the reason why is because without getting into too many details, that's the book where I basically expose what I was just talking about, about those platonic, like a lot of women, what they will do, this is how a lot of women operate. They will find a beta male to become their boyfriend or a husband, but they'll usually have at least one alpha male on deck on the side to be the man they're cheating with. Because I used to be that guy. Now, as I got older, I, I developed this attitude where I felt like it would bring me bad karma to fuck other men's wives, fiancés, and girlfriends. So I stopped. But in my younger years, like, say, from high school all the way into roughly early to mid-30s, I would say probably at least one-fourth to one-third of the women I had sex with were women who were married, engaged, or had a long-term boyfriend. And, yeah, these those are the women who would tell me. They would, they would tell me. They would say, I'm not with my husband because I really love being fucked by him. Matter of fact, some women would say, I hate having sex with my husband. I hate having sex with my boyfriend. This is probably why the uh, divorce rate is high as it is. What do you think? Oh, understatement. Yeah, I definitely said that's a contributing factor. Um, so guys need to learn how to be the alpha male so yeah. they can not only attract women, but really keep a woman. Yeah, what, what, what I try and, to teach... And prevent men. cheating. Yeah, what I try to teach men how to be... I have actually four categories I list in my book, and that's the total alpha male, the alpha male with beta traits, the beta male with alpha traits, and the total beta male. Now, most people would, would think I would naturally choose the total alpha male to be the objective for my male clients, but actually, I say no. The, the, the one you should aspire to be most is the alpha male with a small percentage of beta traits, and the reason why is because you, among other things, number one, you want to still, you want to be an alpha male, but you want to still be focused on self-improvement 
and career improvement and financial responsibility. You know, whereas, again, a lot of total alpha males, they get so caught up in, in all this pussy that's coming their way that they don't take care of business non-sexually. They don't take care of business in terms of, like, say, the education, you know. You know what that says to me almost? That, that says to me that they're an alpha male. They, they display alpha male traits with women, but they're not really displaying alpha male traits in other areas of their life. You know, because when you tell when you were saying before that you know a lot of beta males they they actually do well uh, financially and things like that. That to me that's a characteristic of an alpha male, a guy who's in control of his money, who's uh, fulfilling his destiny and his passions. You know, that's that screams alpha male to me. So it sounds like no, I, I would have to actually respectfully disagree with you. Sure, Here's, yeah. What, what are your thoughts on that? Well, no, the reason why... Now, I think all men should aspire to a certain level of financial responsibility. So no man should be, you know, broke and unemployed and dependent on other people. Um, so I would say when it comes to aspiring just to be what I would call financially self-sufficient and financially responsible, then I would generally agree with your recent comments. But beyond that, see, over half the reason why a lot of beta males want to be really, really wealthy, like have the like big house on the beach, drive the Ferrari, is so they can attract women. But alpha males don't have that same drive because the attitude is, I can get pussy without driving a Ferrari. I can get pussy without having a condominium on the beach. So, matter of fact, the comedian who talked about that, I, I usually reference him, is Dave Chappelle. He was doing a comedy bit one time, and he said, and I'm paraphrasing some of it, but he said, he said, I'm going to tell you, he said, most men, uh, he said, if it wasn't for women, our desire to attract women and, and bang women, he said, most of us men would be satisfied with living in a cardboard box. And, and, uh, and people start laughing. He said, I'm serious. He said, the main reason why we want the big house, the multiple cars, all the fancy clothes, we want that to impress women. He said, but if we could get laid consistently without all that shit, then we wouldn't want none of that shit. And I would say I would take the basis of his comedy bit and apply it to alpha males versus beta males. That's how a lot of alpha males think. Their attitude is, I don't need, like, honestly, I'll use myself as an example. When I was younger, that's how I felt. Because, see, I was banging women who had husbands who had six-figure salaries when I was making, say, 25 to 30 grand. So my attitude was, I don't need to make six figures to fuck a chick. I'm fucking a dude who's making six figures. I'm fucking his wife. I'll give you a perfect example. A, a story I shared on my show about one of the women who was married to a beta man, or she was about to be. I used there was this beautiful, I mean, this chick was drop dead gorgeous. She was a grad student at UCLA when I lived in Los Angeles. And I was fucking her. And like the third time I fucked her, that's the first time I saw a ring on her finger. I guess she had been taking it off the first two times. And I said, What's up? I said, You married? She said, Nah, I'm engaged. I said, But still, <laughs> I said, What? You was trying to hide that from Jeez, me? That sounds worse. And she said, no, I wasn't necessarily trying to hide it from you, but, I mean, I didn't think it really mattered. She said, I mean, like, what, you don't want to fuck me no more now you know I'm engaged? I said, no, I'm still fucking you. 
But I'm just curious. I always like to ask women questions. So I said, I'm just curious. I said, why are you engaged if I'm fucking you whenever I want to fuck you? And she she was honest. She said, I'm not really with my fiance because of sexual attraction. She said, do you know what kind of car I drive? You've seen my car. Haven't you? I said, don't you drive a Porsche 911? She said, exactly. I didn't pay for that. He paid for that. He buys me anything I want to. He owns his own computer, whatever, software or something. You know, some company to do with computers. And she said, yeah, he takes care of me financially. But um, she said, Alan, here was her criticism towards me. She said, Alan, you ain't got no money. You couldn't take care of me financially. But she said, I love the way you fuck me, though. So the question is this. Do you think that relationship between her and that guy will last? If she's a, a, a Oscar caliber actress, sure, it could. Most women who are not, uh, I say, I put it that simplified if I could. I say the women who can go years putting on a facade with their own husbands, which many women do, putting on a facade. I mean, how many times, I'm sure, Tripp, and you're younger than me, but I'm sure you've read a few articles, say, about, I don't know, a celebrity divorce or somebody who was really prominent getting a divorce, and and the husband might say, wow, it wasn't until we started getting a divorce where I saw the real side of my wife. You know, it's, it's almost like she was a totally different person throughout the marriage. I've read that type of comment a number of times. And that comes from a lot of women will play a role. Again, it's almost like somebody accepting a, a role on a TV drama or TV sitcom, and they play that character for five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. And a lot of women literally do that when they're in marriages with husbands who they're manipulating. And that's basically what I exposed in my book, The Possibility of Sex, is that I told a lot of these guys that just because you, because see, a lot of guys think that moment when they get a girlfriend and that moment when they get a wife means they have, quote unquote, succeeded. They're no longer a loser. Hey, I got a girlfriend, so that means I'm a successful guy. And what I basically say in my book is, nah, that's not true. Especially if, if you're a beta male. That is not true. Because a lot of women will just fucking use your ass. They will just use you for your money. Here's the number one way you can tell. If, if you think, if you're listening to this episode right now and you say, hey, I'm not sure if I'm a beta male or I'm not sure if a woman is just with me because I take care of her. Make up a lie or story that that you're, you know, you got into it with your boss and you're about to lose your job. Or if you're self-employed that, you know, you're having some financial struggles and say something to your wife like, you know, hey, you're going to have to take care of, you're going to have to be the breadwinner for the next six months. And just see her reaction. Now, that might be kind of unethical to lie to her like that. But if you really want to be sure, see her reaction. Because see, a woman who's genuinely into you, She's gonna she's gonna be empathetic. She's gonna be like, oh honey, we'll work it out, you know, we'll find a way. But a woman who's with you because she's basically using you, she's gonna be like, oh fuck no, I ain't staying with you. <laughs> I'm out of here. Are you serious? Like we're not gonna be having the revenue that we're used to having? Oh fuck, I'm out. They're gonna be gone. Right. Right. So what do you think is a way to prevent that? To prevent, I mean meeting a woman like that and making sure you have someone who's not just using you for financial reasons. 
Well, the simple step number one, and it's hard for a lot of guys to do this, and again, particularly beta males, because beta males are always trying to impress women with shit. But I would say my first step number one would be stop trying to impress women with, with your finances or your material shit. See, a lot of guys, particularly young guys, they, they get off on that. They think that's, that, that's cool or that's beneficial to them. But I tell guys all the time, you don't want to ever use things like your, you know, your car, your house, or bragging about how much money you got in the bank as a means of attracting women because you're not attracting women with genuine interest. Matter of fact, a movie that in a comedic way highlights that would be Eddie Murphy's Coming to America. You know, when Eddie Murphy's character, he left his country in Africa and came to the United States. Well, at first he was a prince in, in his country, fictional country in Africa. And he was like, you know, just a multimillionaire, if not a billionaire. But when he came to the United States, he, he told his buddy Arsenio Hall, he said, I'm going to purposely present myself as a poor man so I can attract a woman with genuine interest. And that's basically the basis for that movie. And that's essentially what I tell guys. You might not have to go to the extent he did as a character in the movie. I mean, he really tried to present himself as just broke, broke. I wouldn't suggest a guy necessarily has to do that. But you don't want to use material possessions as your number one thing for attracting women. What you want to use to attract women is your natural sense of confidence, your natural sense of charm, your natural sense of sex appeal, and just, you know, letting a woman know that you are going to provide her with exciting and enjoyable companionship, regardless of whether you're making 50 grand a year, 100 grand a year, 200 grand a year or more. Okay, so what about something like, Here's a very specific question. Like, what about for around the holiday season, right? You want to get your your wife, your girlfriend, or the girl you're dating a gift of some sort. You know, do do you do you tell guys, well, you know, don't get anything too lavish, or do you say that's okay? What are your thoughts on that? Because that's a time when you do want to give something, and that's an appropriate time to give something to someone. Uh, what do you do there? Oh, I, I think it depends on how far you've progressed in the relationship. If 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 it's a situation where, say, you've been dating a woman for two or three years or longer, and she's shown that she's really into you, she's loyal to you, and you guys have had mind-blowing sex together, then that's when I tell guys, you have no problem. I have no problem with you splurging on a woman and buying her something really, really nice. But where I'm harshly critical of men spending a significant amount of money on women is in those early stages. Like, for example, definitely before you even officially become boyfriend, girlfriend, when you're still, she's not even yet 100% confirmed that she wants to be your girlfriend, then you shouldn't be spending jack shit on a woman. You shouldn't be spending no big amounts of money on women trying to impress them. And even in that first year, that you and a woman have become boyfriend, girlfriend. I, I would be reluctant to spend large amounts of money on women or buy them real expensive gifts. Well, could we quantify it? Because I think that it's different for everyone, right? Someone who's rich might think that a $5,000 gift or a $1,000 gift isn't that much. Whereas to someone who's broke would think that a $1,000 gift is 
I mean, that's rent for them. You know what I mean? So what do you think about that in terms of quantifying it? Well, that's a good point. Yeah, I guess I would say it's kind of um, going to be a, a personal call on that guy. But I would lean towards saying even if you are a guy with endless income and you treat $5,000 like it's $500, I would still be reluctant to buy those type of gifts for someone when you're in the early stages. Because, I mean, what woman is not going to enjoy your company if you're buying her $1,000 to $5,000 gifts? I mean, let's be realistic. A woman could be telling her girlfriends behind your back that, you know, oh, God, he's a loser. He bores me to death. But shit, if you're showering her with $1,000 to $5,000 gifts, you think she's going to fucking ignore your ass? The only way she's going to ignore your ass is if she got at least one other guy that's buying her gifts that are so much more expensive than that that she really don't need you. But even then, she, you know, ain't no woman going to turn down free meals or, or materialistic gifts if they, if they can help it. Well, you'd hope that they would, right? You'd hope that they would. Right, exactly. Well, that's good. Good stuff here. Okay, so before we kind of close up here, Alan, I want to get maybe one more tip in terms of you know, seducing a woman verbally, something uh, that a guy who's listening could walk away with, like a nice little uh, you know, idea or technique. So after listening to this episode, they can be like, okay, I got something under my belt, like a new tool to use. You got something for us? Okay, and for this, I would plug my latest audiobook. It's called Ooh, Say It Again. Mastering the Fine Art of Verbal Seduction and Aural Sex. And that's A-U-R-A-L sex, not O-R-A-L sex. That's clever. I like that. <laughs> and the main tip I give in there, I give quite a few tips, but if I had to highlight one of the most prominent tips I give in there, is that a lot of women, lot, well, first I'll start with the guys. A lot of guys will say, Alan, I was at this party, man. I tried to talk dirty to this woman. She got totally turned off, man. She had a real negative reaction. Or another guy say, hey, Alan, I tried to have phone sex with this woman. And I started trying to talk dirty, man. But she had a real, you know. And I say, give me an example of what you said and how you said it. And the biggest thing I catch among most guys is that a lot of guys think they can get away with talking real loud. And I'm here to tell you listeners, guys listen to this episode right now, loud, dirty talk is not a turn on at all to women. Matter of fact, more often than not, that's a major turn off. That It makes you look crass. It makes you look just kind of like a dick. So so if you had a social event, a social event and you see a woman you're attracted to, and say you standing like two or three feet away from him, you say, hey, man, I would love to suck your tits, and man, I'd love to lick your pussy. If you think you're turning on, you, you're, you're not. My key thing is what I, I refer to as the left ear zone, the left ear zone. And what I tell men is from the time you meet a woman, over the next five minutes, next 10 minutes, next 15 minutes, whatever, you want to see if a woman will allow you to position yourself so close that you can speak to her 
with your mouth up to her left ear. And the reason why I highlight the left ear is because a lot of people don't know this, but each of our ears are connected to the opposite side of the brain. So our left ear is connected to our right brain and our right ear is connected to our left brain. And people who study the brain have highlighted over the years that your right brain is more logical, more rational, more of a moral and ethical gatekeeper. Your, your um, no, I'm sorry, your left brain. I'll make a correction. Your left brain, which is connected to your right ear. That's the more, you could say, conservative side of your brain. Your right side of your brain is more creative, more spontaneous, more uninhibited. And if you notice, I tell my male clients, if you watch cartoons when they have the angel and the devil on each shoulder, the angel is always on the right side and the little devil is always on the left side. And so you want to talk to a woman in her left ear at a low to medium voice, a low to medium voice. So instead of saying real loud, hey, I think you're very attractive and sexy and I love the fuck the shit out of you. No, no, no. You want to go more like, you are so attractive and sexy. I would love to just fuck the shit out of you right in her left ear. I love it. What a great little tip. That is perfect. Something that guys can do. I mean, you can, that's good for meeting a girl at a bar. That's good for, you know, in the bedroom with the girl. And if you're a righty, it's kind of easy too, because, you know, most people are righties. You know, all you got to do is lean over what would be her right shoulder according to your perspective, which would be her left ear. So I like that. That's great. <laughs> Alan, thanks so much for being on here, man. I feel like we we have so much more to talk about. We, you know, we only kind of went over a, a few things here, but I appreciate you coming on and, and teaching the guys some stuff and helping them understand a little bit more about uh, how the seduction thing works. So thanks for being here, man. Well, thank you for having me. And I want to offer a quick apology to your listeners. You, I don't know if you're picking it up, but a neighbor of mine is on one of those rider mowers and they're doing lawn stuff. So that might have came through. I apologize for that, but I had no control over it. As but long yeah. as we can hear you loud and clear, and we do. So uh, thank you anyways. I appreciate that. Yeah, thank you so much. Awesome. So again, check him out at directapproachdating.com. I'll put that in the show notes. Go check that out to find more about Alan or Roger Curry and uh, some of his stuff. So again, thanks, Alan. And we'll see you on the next episode. All righty. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and write a review. Over 18 and want a question answered on the podcast? Email all your questions to trip at tripadvice.com.